A reading from the book of Ruth, chapter 4, verses 13 to 22. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were fourteen generations in all, from Abraham to David, 
14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sad stories don't have happy endings, but sad stories may yield new beginnings. That's what biblical scholar Phyllis Tribble wrote, and it's a quote that I've been thinking about a lot as we come to the end of our sermon series on Ruth. You'll remember that the story began in tragedy. Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and their sons Malon and Kilion had sought refuge in Moab from a famine in their hometown of Bethlehem. First, Elimelech dies, and then the sons, who had both married Moabite women, also die. The loss that Naomi and Ruth experience is unspeakable, and there is no conclusion to their story that can undo that loss or erase their pain. Yet the story ends on a hopeful note, not a happy ending, but a new beginning. Because after all of Naomi's risky plans, Ruth's courage and creativity, and Boaz's smooth maneuvering, Boaz and Ruth actually get married. There was plenty of suspense along the way, especially last week with Mr. So-and-so, who outranked Boaz in the right to redeem Ruth. But ultimately, Ruth and Boaz marry. They consummate the marriage, and Ruth becomes pregnant. Now, Ruth had spent 10 years married to her first husband, Malon, but had had no children with him. So the fact that she does have a child with Boaz is really nothing short of miraculous. In fact, the narrator, in one of the very few acts directly attributed to God, says, the Lord enabled Ruth to conceive. So Ruth gives birth to a son. And that son signifies a new beginning for the line of Elimelech. He is the male heir Naomi thought she would never have. And he will carry on the family line and the family name. What had seemed to Naomi and Ruth like a dead end has now opened up into a path into the future. And the townspeople, and especially the women, celebrate Naomi's good fortune and the hope that is born along with this new child, whom they name Obed. But then the story does a strange thing, because it ends not with Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, or even with Obed, this miraculous child. Instead, it ends with a genealogy, a family tree. A genealogy that starts long before Obed, several gener- seven generations, in fact, before him, and finishes two generations after him. And this genealogy tells us that Obed was the grandfather of David, King David. And that one little fact transforms the whole story. Because what had been in many ways a small domestic story about one generally unremarkable family suddenly becomes part of a much bigger story. 
The book of Ruth is no longer just a story about an Israelite widow and her Moabite daughter-in-law finding their way through horrific circumstances. It turns out to be a story about the very survival of a nation. We didn't know it, but we haven't just been reading about God's work in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. We've been reading about God's work in the life of the nation he had chosen to be his people, the nation through whom God would bring redemption to the whole world. The story of Ruth and Naomi turns out to be about so much more than the story of Ruth and Naomi. And I think that is actually one of the main points of this book. We can safely assume that Ruth never knew that her great-grandson became Israel's greatest king, or that God made a covenant with this king that his descendants would rule forever. Naomi certainly never knew that this was true of her great-great-grandson. God brought very real redemption to the lives of these grief-stricken women through Boaz and through Obed. And that redemption was just part of something so much bigger than they would ever, that they could ever know. In fact, it was part of something bigger than even the author of the book of Ruth knew. Because as Christians, we believe that the covenant that God made with David, with Obed's grandson, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So Ruth wasn't just the ancestor of a king. She was the ancestor of the Messiah. And so it turns out that the Hesed, the extraordinary sacrificial loving kindness that Ruth showed to Naomi by returning to Bethlehem with her from Moab, that wasn't just a daughter-in-law's exceptional love for her mother-in-law. Ruth's Hesed was ultimately part of God's own Hesed to Israel and to all of us. The story of Ruth's love for Naomi, her marriage to Boaz, and the birth of her son probably caused a bit of a stir in Bethlehem, but it likely didn't even make the news a few miles up the road in Jerusalem. And yet, God was acting in and through Ruth as he was writing this much larger redemption story. A story that would eventually lead to a manger in Bethlehem, a cross and an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem, and on and on all the way to each of us gathered here today. And I think there is tremendous hope for us in this truth that our own individual stories are part of something so much bigger than we can imagine or that we will see in our lifetimes. Because the fact is that like Ruth and Naomi, we experience tremendous pain in our lives. And while I believe that God will and does bring redemption to that pain, even in the course of our lifetimes, that in the words of the psalmist, we will look upon the Lord in the land of the living, it is also true 
that we will pass from this life with much that is unresolved. Dreams that will go unfulfilled, losses that we won't be able to make sense of, pain and brokenness that won't be healed. And yet, as Ruth shows us, our stories do not end when our lives on this earth do. Because our stories are part of God's much, much bigger story. And so we can trust that God is always working redemption in and through our stories, even when we can't see it, even if we never see it. That kind of trust isn't easy. It requires a relinquishing on our part, a letting go of specific desired outcomes. And truly, I think that is something we cannot do apart from God's grace. But what this trust, however hard won it may be, what this trust does offer us is freedom. The freedom that comes when we know that while the meaning of all of the suffering we experience and witness may not, may never be clear to us, that does not mean that it is meaningless. There is a freedom that comes when we accept that we are not the authors of our own stories. Because then we can trust that the one who is will not, in the end, leave anything on the cutting room floor. That all of it will be woven into God's great story of redemption. So Obed's birth and the fact that he would go on to become the grandfather of David and an ancestor of Jesus, that stands as testimony that the redemption that God works in Ruth and Naomi's life is only part of God's much larger story of redemption. But Obed isn't the only testimony to that truth that we find in the book of Ruth. And the fact that the story of Ruth is, at its heart, a story about two extraordinarily faithful women and how those women act in ways their culture didn't expect or encourage women to act, that is also part of how the story of Ruth is a piece of the larger story of God's redemptive work in the world. So as we have walked through Ruth and Naomi's story over these last couple of months, more than once we have noted the ways that they act outside of and even defy the norms and expectations that were given to women in their day. The fact that Ruth pledged her love and loyalty to Naomi on the road from Moab, even though it almost certainly meant a life of poverty and childlessness for her. The plan that Naomi cooked up for Ruth to go to Boaz at night on the threshing floor. And the fact that Ruth followed Naomi's plan and then took it to the next level, directly asking Boaz to combine and take on the role of both Levir and Goel by marrying her. None of these were the actions of good, submissive women 
who were content to live according to the patriarchal norms that shaped their culture. Even the way the narrator of Ruth's story speaks of Obed's birth challenges a purely patriarchal interpretation of this event. Through a patriarchal lens, which is one that sees men as the proper bearers of political, cultural, familial, and spiritual power and authority, through that lens, it is the birth of Ruth's son that brings redemption to this story. It's because Obed is a boy that the story turns out happily ever after for Ruth and Naomi. From a patriarchal point of view, if Ruth and Boaz had had a girl, a daughter, well, chances are that the story of Ruth would never have been written at all. But if we read the text carefully, we see that the text itself challenges that kind of patriarchal reading. Yes, it is true that because of laws and norms of the day, the fact that Ruth's child is male brings greater economic and even social security to Ruth and Naomi than a female child could have. But what the text actually says is that the redemption that Obed brings, and specifically to Naomi, is not because he is a boy, but because he is Ruth's child. Our NIV translation puts it this way in describing what the women say to Naomi about Obed's birth. They say, Obed will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. But the NRSV translation captures the essence of this passage more clearly. It says, He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. It is because Obed is the child of Ruth, Ruth who has shown such unfailing said to Naomi. It is because Obed is a child of Ruth that he brings such redemptive joy to his grandmother. It is who Obed's mother is, and not the fact that he is male, that truly makes him a redeemer to Naomi. And when we look at the story of Ruth through this lens, a lens that sees Ruth and Naomi as two courageous, creative, faithful, loving women whose hesed to each other ultimately brings redemption to them both. When we look at the story through this lens, we see that Ruth is a story about how much God loves, values, cares for, and works through women. And that is worth naming. It is worth highlighting. Because the truth is that all too often, women are nearly invisible in scripture and in its interpretation. After all of the 66 books of the Bible, more than half, 38, are named for individuals but only two of those 38, Ruth and Esther, are named for women. 
And the vast majority of women who appear in scripture go unnamed. And what's true in the pages of the Bible has been true throughout the history of the church. As historian Beth Allison Barr puts it, the reason we don't recognize women as preachers, teachers, and leaders in church history isn't because women weren't doing this work. The reason is because we have written them out of Christian history. And if you'd like to see an example of this, then you need to look no further than that genealogy that concludes the book of Ruth. Nine generations accounted for there, and not a single woman named among them. But if you were listening carefully when I read the gospel reading earlier, the genealogy of Jesus from Matthew, then you noticed something interesting, which is that Matthew puts the women back in. Not in every generation, but he names five of them as mothers in this genealogy. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Each of these are women whose pregnancy or even whose whole life would have been looked down on or dismissed as downright scandalous. Yet each of them gets named as Matthew tells the story of how Jesus came to be. Because when Jesus comes along, the women who had been written out of the story, the women whose names you would have mumbled under your breath as you told the family tales, those women are brought out from the shadows. They are named and highlighted as vital parts of the way God would bring about the redemption of the world through Jesus Christ. And I will tell you that as a woman, that is deeply important to me. It means that women matter. It means that I matter. And I guarantee you that every woman in this room and every woman you know has experienced times and situations where they have been told, whether implicitly or explicitly, that they don't matter, or at least that they don't matter as much as the men do. And so to every woman and every girl, I want you to hear, you matter. You matter to God. But even if you're not a woman, this should be deeply important to you too. Because the fact that God loves, values, cares for, and works through those who are usually overlooked, marginalized, disempowered, or oppressed is a central theme of all of the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament alike. That means women and children, foreigners and refugees, the poor and the sick and the suffering, all of these have a special place, not just in God's heart, but in God's work in the world. And if we miss that, then the vision of the kingdom of God that we pursue and that we present to others is not only incomplete, it is deeply and dangerously skewed. 
And at the end of the day, that is what the book of Ruth is all about. About how God is at work in even the bleakest and most broken of circumstances, bringing about his kingdom of love. God's kingdom of Hesed, that overabundant, committed love that goes far beyond what anyone could reasonably expect. God's kingdom in which a grief-stricken foreigner so deeply knows and shares God's redemptive love that she becomes part of God's work of redeeming the whole world. God's kingdom in which everyone matters